Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the Canon with Jeremy Pate, VP of Operations and Production with P3 Petroleum. Jeremy, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for bringing me in and I'm excited to be on the podcast with you today. Good, good. Well, I had to laugh. It's, you know, you called me last week and could barely get the words out. You were so excited and I don't want to spoil the news, but but you're interested in some really potentially groundbreaking technology with regards to EOR. But before we dive into it, listeners, please, if you want to leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Like and share the podcast to help support the growth and awareness around all the great things happening in oil and gas. This episode is brought to you in part by Hillman Reed Premium Men's Care Products. So visit hillmanreed.com. I'll put the link in the show notes for all your skincare needs. And it's also brought to you by OGGN's travel sponsor called BCD Travel. BCD provides solutions for every business travel program. So visit BCD Travel travel.com for more details. And Jeremy, instead, I normally start off by getting people to talk about their backstory and then we lead into it. But, you know, again, you, you called me, you were so pumped about it. So why don't we go ahead and let the cat out of the bag by sharing your recent victories up, you know, and where you were talking about, and then we'll dive into your journey and, and sort of your history and your involvement within oil and gas. Okay. Sounds great. Yeah. So enhanced oil recovery is something that we used on our assets up in Colorado. Okay. P3 has around 196 wells in the DJ Basin there right outside the Denver airport. Yeah. And they're stripper wells, you know, so they're less, most of them are less than 10 barrels a day. And, you know, I, I brought this idea to my boss last September or so when we made this acquisition Yeah. and we just kind of dove into it and we did about, you know, six, six months worth of engineering work. There's a lot that went into it. We, we, you know, bucketed different wells and different asset classes to find out, you know, where our biggest impact was going to be, you know, and then from there, we kind of dove into it even more with estimated ultimate oil recovery. We, you know, looked at permeability, the porosity, you know, what kind of frack had been done in the past, what kind of stimulations, what kind of acid jobs, Mm -hmm. you know, we looked at reservoir characteristics, you know, the way the plane, the the bedding plane layers were laid out. And, you know, then we kind of, we set out on a campaign to, you know, try a few different products and, and just to compare, you know, so of course we went out and did 10 workovers and we did 10 simulations with those using two different products. Okay. And we had, we had really good results with it. Actually kind of to back up, we started out with doing, with using one product that was a surface application, which was really intriguing, Okay, you know, and we didn't get, you know, we didn't kind of, we didn't quite get the results that, that the company was, the company's product was touting. Sure. So what do you mean by surface application? Explain that for listeners that aren't familiar with that. So the a surface, a surface stimulation or surface application for EOR is, is done without having to put a rig on it. So you basically just get some vacuum trucks out to hold your product and, okay. and to be able to mix it in there. And then you use like a hot oil truck or a pump truck to pump it down hole. Okay. And you don't, you know, you can do it on a pump jack or a plunger lift or a gas lift well. You don't have to pull anything out of the ground. You just pump the product down the backside, load your tubing so it doesn't YouTube, and then you let it, you know, kind of migrate into your perforations and do do its thing. So those are small volume applications. You know, you're probably looking at, you know, less than 100 barrels of total fluid 
of total chemicals pumped down hole. Yeah. But we, so we tried that on a couple of different wells and we had success with it. It just, it wasn't quite what we were looking for. Sure. And so we knew that we had to go do some workovers anyway. So mm-hmm. then, you know, after we saw the, the, the results, you know, we took, we had a well that was doing say two barrels a day, yeah. you know, and we pumped that, that first stimulation on it. It was a pump jack well and we left it shut in for three days and then we started it back up and uh, instantly we could just see the fluid movement. Wow. You know, so much better fluid movement. And then once we get the water pop, pumped off of it, because you have to get the water that you pump down hole out before you really start seeing what's going on. So it doubled the production on that. No kidding. Yeah. And huh. uh, so it went from, you know, barrel and a half, two barrels a day to three or four barrels a day. Okay. So we washed it for a little bit. And then we and we did another one at the same time, you know, and, and that was a plunger lift well. And, and there was, that's a little bit harder to identify, you know, how, how much you're, improvement is because of the way the plunger lift works you know okay it's not like a pump jack it's not a steady movement you know it's all about pressure and cycle but we did see some increase in production on it and so we monitor those two wells for probably 45 days gotcha and then you know and that after that was that period was up we picked up a pulling unit and we we went to work no know? kidding dude that's and, that's crazy impressive so when you talk about doubling production rates even though it's you know like you know from three to six or from four to eight whatever the case may be like how long, and then I'm sure it, it depends on the well and there's several factors that go into it, but how long does that increased production normally last? I mean, is it like, is there an average or like in your area, for instance? I would, I would say the average is probably nine months. Okay. It, it, it all depends on the amount of volume. Of course. You know, I, that's, that's my opinion. Okay? Of course. Yeah. You know, that's just what I've noticed through doing 10, 10 of these EOR jobs is that it's more a volume thing. Mm-hmm. And we started out using two products when we got into the workover campaign that were like completely opposite. One of them is, is a small volume thing and you're only pumping like 15 barrels. It's kind of a, I would consider it more of a perf clean out. Gotcha. It's more like an acid replacement. Okay. So, you know, it's designed to go in and, and pump 15 barrels of this stuff into your purse and clean all that out and clean your near well bore damage up. Mm-hmm. You know, the other one is, is way opposite. You know, it's like, okay, you go in and it's almost like a mini frack. You know, you, you figure out what your, what your reservoir barrels or what your reservoir capacity is, how much your EUR is. And, and you do a lot of analytics and diagnostics behind it and try to figure out how many barrels of fluid and water you still have in your reservoir. Yeah. And then you, you want to treat that entire, it's, it's almost like a scour frack. Okay. You want to go in there or a flush, you know, yeah. you want to go in there and you want to hit that. You want to hit those outer edges. That's, that's the whole purpose of it is if you've got a frack radius that's say a hundred feet, you know, and you've got 10 feet of purse in there, you know, do a calculation, figure up, you know, okay, this is how big my reservoir is in this well, you know, and then, okay, we're producing this much oil and we're producing this much water. So you know how much water, estimated water you still have down there. Mm-hmm. And then, and it's all about trying to compensate for that when you send your products down hole. Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. So has P3 always been interested in this type of, of EOR or what, what, like describe P3 and sort of like the, the historically what they've been doing? Cause I mean, it sounds like this is fairly new for you guys. Yeah, it's something that I brought to the company about oh year year and a half ago. I started out working with P three as a consultant, a completion engineer consultant, yeah. and just kind of doing some little workovers for them. They had these assets in Montana and Louisiana, and they'd have need a pump change or what you know rods change or whatever. I was or we did uphole recompletion in Montana, and I went up there and did that. And then you know I came across this EOR stuff. Actually, I was just happened somebody I was working 
I can't even remember what I was doing, but it, it, some stuff with EOG came across and I just happened to see, you know, that they were doing some things yeah. and I started checking it out and there's some other operators doing some things, you know, and mm. I was like, man, I just dove into it, you know, and just started thinking about it. And then, you know, I, I brought it to my boss, John Hoffman and said, Hey, what do you think about this? You know, but we got, well, you got wells up here that are making two, three barrels a day. We could potentially yeah. turn that into six, nine, 12. Right. You know, so are they looking to, to take this technology all throughout the wells that they have? I mean, now that it's somewhat proven. Yeah, I think so. I think that's wow. our next step. Our next, we have a next phase of workovers that we need to do. And, and we may even go back to some of them that we missed or that we didn't stimulate and, and work those over again. No kidding. Know, and, and stimulate them. I mean, Look, it's it for a company that's like a small company like P3 that has stripper wells yeah. to take a two barrel a day well and turn it into 12 or 15 or even eight or 10 is yeah. a huge thing. It is, especially, I mean, it's, it doesn't sound like much, but you're talking, if, if you can scale that up and, and get the volume behind it, you know, one well turns into five, turns into 20, that's lanyard, but you it, know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. Exactly. So. Exactly. It's just like, so, you know, after I did the first couple, you know, we kind of got away from the smaller volume stuff. And I actually, the first, the first job I did, first workover I did, I used in, Integrity Biochem's product, CS52. Okay. And shout uh, out to them. Yeah. And so we went in there and it was like, you know, my, my colleagues are like, why do you want to do that? It was a dog. Well, I mean, it was like one barrel and a half a day. Well, yeah. And they're like, well, why do you want to do that one first? There's not much upside. And I was like, well, number one, it has, you know, it's underperformed as a well. Two, it has a lot more EUR than these other wells because it's un underperformed. Yeah. You know, and so if it'll work, if this product works on this well, it's going to work on all the rest of, of it. Of course. Just trust me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so we went out and did it, you know, and, and historically that well was a barrel a day well with a barrel a day water. And, and instantly we saw the fluid movement just, wow. just increase to like eight barrels a day, That's nine crazy. barrels a day. You know, so that particular well went from making three barrels a day of total fluid with, say, a barrel and a half of oil, a barrel and a half of water, to today it's making eight barrels a day of total fluid with four barrels of, of oil. Wow. So, so is that something that you can apply in, in any type of reservoir, or is, is, is the reservoir that you guys have sort of very conducive to this type of chemistry? No, I think it's all about a, an engineered solution. Okay. It's all about knowing your reservoir, knowing your rock, studying it knowing what the characteristics are and i i think that the technology does tra you know does translate to all types of reservoirs and rocks yeah you know but i think you know for me it was it was like a like a big study project yeah. you know and it was like i i studied this for six months and then i studied p3's wells for six months after that and so it wasn't like shooting fish in the barrel but i tried to you know, take that approach is I want to take all the risk out of this. Of course. You know, and so what I found out was, is messing with these old wells, you can take all the risk out of the application part of it, but you can't take the risk out of the wells, right? Because you, <laughs> yeah. once you get into them, man, there's might there's something that's rusty or whatever that might break on you. And, of course. And so that kind of, you know, that, that kind of is a deterrent, right. you know, of the unknown of what you, if it's been in the hole for 20 years, you know, you don't know. 
Yeah. But, you know, we had to work through some of that and, and, and get the jobs accomplished and, yeah. and, you know, it's worked out really well for us so far. Man, good for you. That's exciting stuff. Well, I want to keep talking about EOR, but I'd like also to, to give the listeners a little context of who, who I'm talking to here today. Sure. You've, you've been in the industry for years since, like you said, you were 18 or, you know, it was 18 you 19. started or yeah. 19. So why don't you go ahead and just give, uh, give a little bit of a journey down memory lane to, so that the listeners can hear, you know, and, and funny cause we're kind of cut from the same cloth. We were both in the mud industry. I'm still in it. And, and you've, uh, you know, had a pretty good uh, run at it as well. But yeah, tell us about your journey, Jeremy. Yeah, so uh, I very first got in oil fields when I was 19. I was trying to roughneck my way through college. Yeah. And, you know, so I worked, I had an intern job with a, a wellhead company and for a summer job, and that turned into a part-time job. And then, you know, after college, it turned into a full-time job. And yeah. I moved on to, I, that was BOP Ram in uh, Weatherford, Oklahoma, where I went to college at. And then I moved on to Wood Group Pressure Control in the late 90s and worked there for a little while. And then New Park Drilling Fluids gave me a call. I knew I'd went to school with one of the manager's daughters and he said, hey, we're looking for guys like you. And that's, I got in the mud business in like 1999, man. Wow. And so it's, it's, I got started out doing drilling fluids and completion fluids offshore for New Park then. Moved on to Baker and several other mini companies since. And, mm-hmm. you know, this EOR thing is, you know, I guess during the last downturn, I kind of transitioned from the the drilling and completion fluids business to working as a, as a, con, as a consulting engineer in completions world. Okay. And that's when I kind of came across the EOR stuff, which is about, I don't know, three or four years ago. And I started really studying it and diving into it and, I started using the applications down in Brazil with a, with a company called Great Holdings. Okay. And I was consulting for them down there and, and they had a, they had a well that they were trying to, you know, reclamate. They just drilled it and were having some issues with it. So, you know, I gave them some recommendations and some advice and, and helped them out and we got that well back going. And, and, you know, then that's whenever I, I, I came to P3 or I was working at, as a completion consultant for them as well. And I said, Hey, look, man, maybe you know how to think about some of this. Yeah. And you know, my boss was all about it. You know, he just said, Hey man, work something up. Let's start looking at it. And so, you know, we looked at it really hard for a long time. And like I said, we tried to take the whole risk factor out of it. Yeah. And we've been successful with it so far. We're pretty pleased. Wow. So what, what's been the biggest challenge with deploying some of this technology so far? Logistics. Logistics. Okay. Yeah, because the thing with a stripper well is, is there's not a lot of economics in them, right? Right. So you, you really have to find out, be efficient. You know, it's like, it's not like being on a drilling rig or on a frack location where, I mean, you have, you obviously have the room to bring out a lot of frack tanks and all that stuff, but all that stuff is cost, all, all those items and rental items are cost prohibitive. Mm-hmm. So the very first job we did bring out frack tanks and we kind of did it the old school way. Yeah, And so then once I, it was just way, there was a lot of moving parts going on, you know, before the job, after the job, yeah, you know? And so I was like, well, look, how can we scale this thing to be more efficient? Yeah, And so I was like, man, we got to do away with the frack tanks. So that was the first thing we did, do away with the frack tanks. So we just started bringing out vacuum trucks, loaded vacuum trucks. And then we'd take and load the chemical on the vacuum trucks on location and we'd send it down hole and Okay, so and, you tied right in for, to the to the wellhead or whatever, or not yeah, the well, through, but through the, a hot oil truck. Yeah. Okay, huh. yeah. So the well was already open because we had a, a pulling unit there, and we yeah. you know pulled all the rods and everything, and we'd use the tubing as a work string, and then just get a packer on the end of it, and go in and top set the purse. Yeah, by ten feet, and then you just use a hot oil truck to to send it down hole, and you you squeeze everything in. Hmm. You know, and then you let it sit for a couple of days, and 
you you if you can let it sit for a couple of days you try to let it sit there's yeah you know there's been cases where you know some mechanical problem or something was happening and i didn't feel like that the best thing to do was leave that well shut in for for three days and we just turned it on right away and started pumping okay and you know the results in and that that one particular well weren't as good okay as what some of the others were but why do it, you think well, you got to get whenever you send your product down hole, you need to you need to give it time to react. There's a chemical reaction that's going to take place in your reservoir. Sure. And so that's the purpose for leaving it shut in. Okay. And in this one particular well, we when we got on bottom with the pump and we started pumping the or started stroking the long stroke in the pump, it was it wasn't tagging right. You know, so I was like, well, I don't want to leave it shut in like that because I don't want to lose my tag. And so we just started pumping, but you know, even in that job, we still doubled the production. Yeah, you know, it was so it was like you know it was a three barrel a day well before, yeah. and now it's a six barrel a day well. Yeah, you know, so even you know, was, I guess my point is, even whenever something goes wrong, you know, it's not always bad. Sure. Yeah. So obviously that that time period, that exposure time of the chemical with the with the reservoir is extremely important. Is that calculated or are you kind of shooting from the hip thinking, mm, let's try two days? Well, let's try three days. I mean, is there sort of any sort of engineering that goes behind it depending on the volume you pump or how does that work? Yeah, you know, it all it's all based on the volume you pump and the volume you pump and what the chemical is doing. Okay. Okay. So what we're pumping down hole with the CS fifty two is it's a surfactant. And what it's made to do is go in and coat the rock. So whether it's a conventional or unconventional reservoir, it really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But you have pockets, you have like spider legs or, or veins of oil or pockets of oil in your reservoir that haven't been released yet. And so what the, what you're trying to do is you're trying to pump enough volume down there with, with enough concentration of this product to reach those, those parts of the rock and those cracks and crevices and fissures, you know, and, and get this chemical in there that unlocks that oil. Uh-huh. And so it's a nano, it's a nano surfactant. And, okay. and what we do is we like, for example, with the porosity, you look at your perm and your porosity. And so like, if you have a, a rock, a rock that's uh, got 45 millidarcy pore throats, for example, then, you know, we'll design the, we'll have the, the molecule of the nano designed at like say 40, you know, 40 millidarcy's, you know, and the, and the idea behind that is that the nano can get that makes it achievable for the nano particle to get inside those pore throats and kind of release the paraffin that's holding that rock that oil in the rock still because that's the reason why it hasn't been released yet because mm-hmm. you have a little small skim thin line of paraffin that's that's holding that oil in place you know and and you got to get get something in there to help that get out. I got you. So what type of volumes are, are you, would you typically pump in something like this? I mean, I guess it depends on the well, but like any sort of like kind of ballpark-ish numbers? You know, on these, I pumped anywhere from 400 barrels to all the way down to 200 barrels. Of just uh, this this specific chemical? Yeah, well, okay. no, no, not the, it's mixed with water. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you, you treat the water with 10, 10 GPT gallons oh, per thousand. Gotcha, okay. Know? And, you know, what I tried to do is like, like if I go into it and I'm like, okay, well, I can estimate that there's X amount of water down hole, then I'm gonna I'm gonna juice that that slurry up a little bit. So instead of ten gallons per thousand, I might make it fifteen gallons per thousand because you gotta you know, my theory is you need to treat that water in your reservoir too. That's gonna help you unlock more oil mm-hmm. than than the water you're sending down hole. Gotcha. You know, so man, this whole thing took an evolution. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was like I started out following 
you know, Max and Charlie's recommendations. And then I was, you know, communicated back with them. Hey, this is what I see. This is what I think. And then we kind of, I kind of just went on my own path a little bit, you know, always staying in touch with them, bouncing my ideas off of them, you know, and right there towards the end, we got to where that last well we did, we did a, we, the product is actually compatible with acid. Wow. And, and I'm not a big fan of acid. Okay. But, you know, what I started doing was, was putting 15% HCL concentrated 15 barrels ahead of the, the CS52. Okay. And so what that would do, we, we pump that, pump that 15 barrels, and then we do 100% flush with the string. So we pump another 30 barrels to clear the string and get that in there and kind of let it do its, do its deal, you know, while we were making up everything on surface to pump, pump the, the CS52. And then we'd send the CS52 down, down hole behind it. You know, in, in that particular job, I cut the volume down in half and we only pumped about 220 barrels. And that was the best performing well so far. We took that well from a two barrel a day well to 15 barrels a day. Wow. Was, that is so fascinating. That was three months ago. Yeah. Is it still performing yeah. at that? Wow. Yeah. So how much water does something like that come in with as well? I mean, is it quite a bit of water you have to deal with too? Or I mean, uh, does that, it depend? It, it all depends on the well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that particular well doesn't make a lot of water. And nice. so once we got the water pumped off, it was basically 90% oil. No so it way. Made it, yeah, it made it easy to, you know, some of the other ones like the, the Champlain Danford 4432, which is the first well I spoke about. It took a little while, you know, because it, 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 it took a little while to determine is the product working. Yeah. We saw the fluid movement, you know, happening. And, but then, you know, it, it makes so much more water that you're like, okay, you got to really strap your tanks and, and calculate when you got that, mm -hmm. that water out. Makes but, sense. Yeah, but a lot of times, you know, when you're, you're pumping this down, you'll get a big flush right at the beginning. And that, and what I've no, also noticed is that the size, the barrels of flush that you get out are going to be an indication of how well that well is going to perform later on. Hmm. So let me give you an example. Like on, on the Champlain Dam for 4432, whenever we kicked that well on, we immediately flushed 110 barrels of oil right out of the reservoir. Hmm. So then we went to the next well, which was a sister well, which was Champlain Danford 4332. So we went over there and did the same thing. When we turned it on, we only got 60 barrel flush. And I was like, hmm, you know, that was kind of interesting. Well, the product did its job and it, and it still, it, it doubled the production of the, the 4332. But, you know, I started noticing a correlation between the amount of oil flushed at when you re bring the well back on and to the long-term sustained production. Interesting. Interesting. So is this new technology or is this something that has been around, but people have just been chasing, you know, the sex appeal of unconventionals, frack it and drill it. And you know what I mean? Or obviously drill and frack, but like, you know what I mean? Is it, is this like, why aren't people flooding towards this? Or is this something that just has been low hanging fruit that no one's cared about that now if people are realizing the benefit? I think there have been there have been stimulations for many years, huff and puffs with CO2. Yeah. There's acid stimulations, you know, but as far as using, utilizing nano nanotechnology and surfactants and stuff like that, I think that that's something new, you know, and actually where the CS52 came from was the origination behind it is to be used as a frac fluid. Okay. And, you know, I honestly think that that's the next evolution and the next phase of EOR is to set up your set up your initial frack with uh, eor in mind later on mm -hmm. you know as a fail safe of course so let's say you know you're let's just take a, a niobrara well 
you know, you go into this Niobrara well and, and you have big, you have high hopes that you, when you drill it, it's going to come on rock solid and, and all that. But, you know, there's always that chance that it could hit that steep decline, mm-hmm. you know? So if I'm the completion engineer or the, the VP, or if it's on my own well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be proactive and I'm going to say, Hey, look, let's look at what we're doing with our propens and our sand. And let's, let's, keep EOR in mind later on because that might be our life sa- our life preserve that might be our lifeline to making this well economical. Yeah. And I think that's 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 the reason why I'm so fascinated with the technology is because being a lifelong, you know, oil guy, you know, I, I want to see this industry thrive. Mm-hmm. You know, and really, you know, while the shale revolution has has been a success, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of confliction about it right now. Yeah, big and, time. And I really think that for some of these guys, some of these companies that are out there that have you know a sweet spot somewhere where they're 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 hitting good shale wells, but they have a, a area that is marginal. You know, I think that this could help them extend the you know make it more economical. You know, help it pay out. Right. You know, you know when you, you know when that well declines down to a hundred barrels a day or two hundred barrels a day, and you can go in there and say on a on a horizontal do like a fifty fifty thousand gallon or or hundred thousand gallon you know stimulation with with CS fifty two, you know, and you can bring that well back to eight hundred nine hundred barrels a day, you know that's going to be a game changer for a lot of people. If it lasts for a year, then then good. I mean, but these things are really economical. They're not, it's not, you know, it's not like a big high dollar thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, you know, in our case, we were, you know, just the cost of the product and the, the operation for the stimulation was probably around five to $7,000. That's not including the pulling unit cost. Now. Sure. You know, sure. If you add that in there, you're looking at like one day of like 10,000 bucks. Yeah. You know, so huh. the payout on that for us, depending on what the well is, but you know, we look at it and like, okay, well, if we double the production, the payout's going to be 90 days. You know, if we triple the production, then the payout's going to be 60 days. You know, and, and, and in some cases, you know, if you quadruple it or, or you get a big flush of oil, you know, when you hit that big flush of oil, when you bring that well back online, it almost always pays for the, the yeah. stimulation. Yeah, I mean, no You kidding. get a 100, 150 barrel flush coming out of your well, you just paid for your stimulation. No you just paid kidding. For your, you know. Huh. It seems too good to be true. You know what I mean? Like it's, and and maybe it is. I mean, maybe this is something that's going to take off. But you know, I find it very interesting that that you're, you know, and and certainly appreciate the information that you're you're providing. But what makes you so passionate about it, and and what makes you just be comfortable with kind of telling, you know, the lessons learned and and what you've been experiencing? Because a lot of people would keep that to themselves. So like, is that? I mean. What, why that? We're all in this together, man. Yeah. I think too many people have been keeping it a secret for too long. Yeah. You no, know? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just, I think there's a lot, of, like I said, I'm a lifelong oil guy, man. I, I, I tried to get out of the oil business a couple of times, man. <laughs> yeah. And I got thrown right back in it, yeah. you know, because they're like, <laughs> you know, they're just like, well, when it gets good, you're just going to go back. Yeah. Well, well no, I want to do something different. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I'm stuck in this business for, for the life hey, and I'm all I good with that, you. man. Like, you know, oil and gas has done tremendous things for me, my family, yeah. you know, they gave me a direction and purpose. And, and so, you know, anything I can do to help anybody out here, you know, achieve success. That's what I'm, that's what I'm all about, man, your selflessness and your willingness, your, your willingness to help and it's kind of open your, yourself up like a book is, is certainly admirable. I wish more people would take that, that approach on, because like you said, we're all in this together and the more people that are successful 
the greater our business is. And, and if Absolutely. we can help drive down costs and actually give money back to investors would Absolutely. be a freaking, you know, a huge win for us as an industry. So yeah, no, it's, it's certainly, again, I really appreciate kind of your mindset and willingness to help, man. I'm scared to give people your, your contact info, but they know your name. So you, you may get a flood of LinkedIn hits here over the next couple of months asking for, for help. So it's all good. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome, man. Well, I have a few other questions here and, and more on, on the personal side, but, you know, do you have any daily routines or habits that kind of help keep you focused and motivated to just keep going? Obviously, this is new and exciting, but, you know, more so just overall in your career, because it sounds like you've you kind of heard and seen and done it all. And you just you just keep pushing and pushing, whereas a lot of folks in your position could just sit back Cadillac and ride into the sunset till retirement. But you're continuing to push yourself. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I like to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm really you know, when I find things that I'm intrigued by, fascinated by, you know, I just, I'm, I just push all in, cool. you know, and right now, you know, P3 and, and EOR and, and seeing where that path goes for the company as well as myself personally, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's what's driving me right now. I just, very cool. I, I really, 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 really believe that EOR is going to be a huge factor in the future. Okay. You know, well, can you paint a picture what that looks like? Well, I'm not quite sure, but you know, I, I, I think that I, I think like I, I mentioned a while ago, you know, I think that people need to keep EOR in, in mind with their, their initial frack. And I think they need to, they need, instead of going in there and saying, Hey, we're going to frack this well, and we're going to get ball buster well, mm. you know, and, and it's going to live forever. You know, I think they need to take, to take a step back and, and think about, well, what if it doesn't? You know, and, and yep. have a little pause for a second and just really think about, hey, is, is are we doing just the same old thing that everybody else is doing and, and everybody else is having success? Or, hey, is there something that we can take and incorporate into our current process and efficiently increase our production effectively? Absolutely. You know, because CS52 works in frac fluids, too. Wow. So, you know, what we've seen so far is that, and this is just me, my my observation from data that I, I share with with Integrity Biochem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when CS52 is incorporated into the initial frack, mm. 30% better returns. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. Huh. And so, you know, there's there's other things that you can do in your initial, you know, with micropropants. That's something that I haven't haven't got to use yet. But okay. I'm, I'm just really, really fascinated by incorporating micropropants with the, with, uh, the CS52. Is that and, something that well, obviously not with the CS52, but is that something that people have deployed just in general, micropropens? Yes. Okay. Yeah, people are, so you're looking at like a 500 mesh propent, very, very tiny. It's is so, it sand or is it some sort of synthetic? Or It's, it's so micropropent has to be perfectly spherical. Sure. And it's a propent, you yeah. know, so it's, it's, it's polymer type okay. of thing. Sure. You know, and some people are using it and some people aren't. But I, I really think that that is, that is the, the focus going to be, that'll be, that will be the application for the horizontal, the, C, the CS52 with the micropropent. Wow. And so the micropropent is designed and it's so, it's so small and fine that you have to get it in and put it in a, in a carrier. I'm you know, sure. Liquid. Yeah. And so then, you know, it's designed to, whenever you send it down whole, it's small enough that it weaves in and out of all your existing propants and gets back up there in the, in the veins or legs of oil that haven't been touched yet. Wow. And kind of gets in there and opens those small little spider cracks up or, or, you know, you know, whatever the visure is and, and it, and it helps release that oil along with the CS52. That's incredible, man. That That's so exciting. I love hearing about that kind of stuff, man. The future looks bright, you know, it's, and people dog on the industry and media does such a good job of tarnishing, you know, what we're doing and, 
you know, Wall Street's just shitting on us every time they can. But, you know, hopefully stuff like this, along with everything else that we're doing on the digitalization, automation, I feel like that the ship is shifting in a good way. And so it's taking people like yourselves that are helping revolutionize things and and sharing your knowledge and information, which is going to help. And so, again, certainly appreciate it. One last question I have, you know, more again on the personal side of things is, is, is there anything that not many people know about Jeremy Payton? If you got any good hidden secrets or you know, any, you know, interesting hobbies that you like to do? Because it sounds to me like you're all in on work. But what do you I mean, anything else that kind of takes up your time? Yeah, a lot of hunting. Okay, good. Hunting and fishing. Nice. You know, I kind of live by that Luke Bryan song. Yeah. Okay. Can you recite it for us? I I don't want to scare your... (laughs) You might lose some listeners if I do that. Fair enough. But, you know, my son's 12 years old. He's about to be 13. And uh, we have a place out in the hill country over by... uh, christendom not too far away oh yeah, yeah over yeah. by the camels and yeah uh, yeah and christensen yeah. and all that yeah just north of them and north of them a little bit about 20 20 30 miles or okay, so cool and but you know we spend a lot of time out there man nice you know, just that's another one of those things i'm just i've been doing since i was a kid just real 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 passionate about and good and for you man it's just it's tracking down deer or hogs or whatever it may be man. <laughs> yeah you know good greasing up your face and and getting in a bow blind you know i mean i love that stuff awesome no that's cool i, I it, like the beer drinking that comes yeah <laughs> yeah don't we all and you know it's neat that your son's able to to partake and, and right. you take him out there i'm sure he learns a lot and and nowadays i don't think enough kids get the opportunity to go out in the you know out in the bush or you know to, to kind of do those things that you know you know evolutionary speaking that's what what men did and so to be able to show them the ropes and, and and provide that to him that he can go out there and, and enjoy that with you I, th- I certainly think is extremely valuable you know for him and spending that quality time at the end sure. of the day is what counts so well man is there anything else you know any closing last words that you'd like to mention before we shut this thing down yeah you know you, you brought up wall street you know yeah. and how they're dogging on the industry mm-hmm. and I, th- I think you know in terms of motivation if you really want that that's my motivation cool you know that that is prove Wall Street wrong. Hell you yeah. know because all all everybody in this business is my colleague. You know as far as I'm concerned, I'm friends with everybody. Yeah. You know and and when Wall Street starts dogging on our industry, they dog on me. Whether yeah. it's my whether it's my company that they're they're bad on or sour on or whatever. Yeah. But you know I, I feel like as an industry we've always overcome. Mm-hmm. You know and I feel like that we can overcome these marginal horizontal unconventionals yeah you know yeah. and I, I think that this is one of the first steps in that process i'm not saying i got the answer to all this all the questions but fair you enough. know I, I think i got a few yeah you know no that's awesome man you're a stewardship of, of the industry i mean yeah my hat goes off to you man i'm glad we had this conversation from a selfish standpoint you know we, we've shook hands and you know we've you know talked shop a little bit here and there but to, to be able to sit you know with you here and discuss this and hopefully in you know five or ten years from now we can look back and be like wow told you so you know yeah. so you know, just a great, great time with you here, Jeremy. I certainly appreciate it. But uh, before we close out, I just want to take a few moments to tell everyone about some upcoming events. Hey guys, Alex here with the events on deck for December. We'll be having two OGGN happy hours to kick off 2020. One will be in January in Houston. We have not announced the date yet, but we'll get back with you guys soon on that. And we will be having our first happy hour in Pittsburgh in February 2020, also with the date coming soon. So stay tuned on those. Upcoming events include the Bells of Houston, a masquerade, unmasking the stigma of PTSD. This will take place on December 5th in Houston. The Latin America Oil and Gas Summit is December 5th and 6th in Uruguay. 
The API Energy Houston Chapter General Meeting will be held on December 11th, 2019 in Houston. The Wildcatters Ball is taking place on February 7th, 2020 in Houston. And lastly, the IPAA Leaders Industry Luncheon will be held on December 11th in Houston. That's all the events for this month, guys. Be sure to tune in at the beginning of January to see what's happening then. Awesome. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey and some beer drinking. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. So hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And if you're in the Katy area or you're visiting Houston, you want to get a good workout in, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Thanks for listening to Oil and Gas Onshore. If you're looking for more info, visit oilandgasonshore.com. Jeremy, thanks again for coming onto the show. What would be the best way, you know, while maybe again you were kind of opening the gates here but if people want to reach out to you if they have any questions or want to ask something that you spoke about here what's the best way to reach out and then we can put the link in the show notes but just you know whether it's email linkedin i mean what's the best yeah i think i think linkedin okay you know re- have people reach out to me through linkedin and then we can kind of take that Perfect. conversation you know further from there i think that's a good place to start awesome man i love it very simple and uh, we'll put p3's website in the show notes as well that way if people are interested on what you guys are doing and yeah if there's any other links or any other shout outs i know you mentioned that ca- the company that you're kind of dealing with there if you want i don't mind throwing their name here in the hat too so again anything i can do to help advance the industry and share information is certainly my pleasure so again with that being said always remember when the density's up and the gas is down open the choke let's go to town thanks absolutely thank you (laughs) he bet tune in next week for another captivating episode of tendeka's oil and gas onshore podcast a production of the oil and gas global network learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com